producer's note. This episode contains mention of sexual assault depicted in media. Listener discretion is advised. This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. This happens to Asian women all the time. We're always told to be quiet, to not say things that would offend our communities or our families. If we are not going to allow us the space to actually be our full selves, no one is ever going to give that space. If we don't even give it to ourselves, how the hell are we supposed to expect other people to give us that space? Hi, I'm Nate Nakao. And I'm Scott Okamoto. And this is Full Mutuality. Was I supposed to do that? Yeah, I think it worked. <laughs> so uh, today's podcast episode. Yes, we are. We're professionals. We're so good at this. <laughs> I'm going to call it out now. We're having some internet uh, internet issues today. So we'll see how this, how this goes. Um, this episode is going to be a whole lot of fun, I'm sure, uh, between internet uh, issues and me having a cold. But here we go. We're, we're going to dive in. Um, so d- I'm joined by a guest host today who you just heard um, and you've heard on, on the show before. Uh, welcome back, Scott. Thanks for joining me as, as my guest host today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here and um, got some big shoes to fill. Um, but I'll do my best. Appreciate it. I'm sure you will. It's the it's the whole like Asian thing, right? You know, we'll, we always we always do our best. Put in a hundred percent effort. Yeah, you yeah. guys. Well, I'm gonna put like seventy five percent because not your model <laughs> minority. Um. <laughs> I I thought the joke was uh, it's the Asian thing. We're all uh, irre- uh, replaceable. <laughs> oh. All interchangeable. Interchangeable. Oh yeah, that's right. We're interchangeable. Yeah. So uh, today, on today's episode, we have uh, two incredible guests that I'm excited to have a conversation with. It's going to be a bit of a roundtable conversation, but I do want to give our guests the opportunity to kind of tell, talk a little bit about themselves and, and what they do. But our uh, our guests today are um, Mei Li Yang, who is a writer, performer, and educator, and Naomi Ko, who is a filmmaker and Bush Leadership Fellow, and I think you're you're going to explain that a little bit as as we go along. And both uh, both of these amazing uh, women are co-founders of the Funny Asian Woman Collective with a K, also known as Falk. Yeah, fucking A. Yeah, fucking A. <laughs> yes, thank you so much, Nate. We're excited to be on. Yeah, same here. Yeah, thank you guys for coming. So we. Uh, we're kind of in a in a weird place right now. I think when I had first reached out to you all, I said, "Hey, you know the um, you know we're going to be a- approaching the second anniversary of the um, the Atlanta shootings, and I wanted to talk to some Asian women, women in particular, but Asians in general, and just to kind of talk about the Asian American experience." And then here we are, um, actually sitting down to record, and not one, but two mass shootings deep in the heart of our community as Asian Americans have taken place in the time uh, between my first outreach to you all and now that we're recording. And so it it does kind of hit pretty hard. But, you know, I I guess to kind of start off, what are some of your 
your thoughts and experiences as we're as we're trying to figure out and navigate our existence in this country. Maybe maybe we can backtrack a little bit, and if if you're willing to to kind of go to some of the uh, some of the history for yourselves, for your families, for uh, your I guess grappling with your identity as Asian Americans and, and what that looked like for you. Um, and I guess uh, Naomi, if you, if you want to kick things off. Yeah, I mean, um, I I am a daughter of South Korean immigrants. I was born and raised in Minnesota. So, um, in terms of you know grappling with my Asian American identity, it's always been. I've always lived in an existence of knowing that I was an outsider, knowing that I was Asian, and knowing that um, what kind of Asian I was, especially being from Minnesota, where there is you know, there isn't a lot of East Asians, there aren't a lot of Korean Americans, and May will go more into detail about uh, Minnesota's uh, large Southeast Asian refugee population. But I, you know, I think I think for me, what what I always have. I always thought about in terms of my own um, Asian American identity and my family's placement is how we even got to the United States. And my dad, my dad's eldest sister, my aunt married an American soldier. Um, he was stationed in South Korea during um, after the Korean War. And because of that, that's how our family w- was able to immigrate. So this idea of um, knowing that my aunt was a war bride, I don't think she would describe herself as a war bride, but in reality, she is um, knowing that this is how we came here. And then looking at, of course, the his- the two year anniversary of Atlanta coming up, what happened last year in New York, and now what's going on that very much um, my place and my family's place has really been tied to American imperialism and how Americans and the West, European West, have viewed Asian bodies, especially Asian female bodies. Um, so, I mean, in, in terms of that, you know, knowing that Asian American women have always been hypersexualized, that we've been viewed as being submissive, subservient, and that we've had these perceptions and how our our bodies are in relation and the fact that we do a lot of work with our own, with our hands, you know, for example, the the women who died, well, everybody who died in the Atlanta mass shootings uh, two years ago, that was in a massage parlor and he... And the uh, mass shooter, he specifically went to these Asian massage parlors. And and so, yeah, I think that's really kind of really looking at in terms of my um, Asian American uh, identity. You know, for me, um, I think something that I feel is a little bit different is that I, I've never been quite – I've never – how do I say this without sounding like a dick? I might just sound like a dick. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've never been ashamed of being an Asian American. I've never been ashamed of being Korean, um, which I think contrary to people, they might be like, well, you as a Korean, don't you feel like you hate yourself? And I'm like, but that's for a very different reason. Um, that's that's the just general self-loathing of, of my culture. But um, The Han. Yes, the Han, the Han and Hwabyeong and all of that. But no, I've always been very proud of, of being Asian and being Korean American. You know, when I think for me growing up in Minnesota, growing up in suburban Minnesota, and even growing up in Cedar Riverside, um, that's where I spent the first five years of my life was in Cedar Riverside, which was a public housing unit in 
uh, Minneapolis that actually was mostly Somali and East African immigrants and refugees who came to Minnesota. But um, there were quite a, there were maybe like a couple dozen Koreans who, who were living there. And for me, knowing that I wasn't either, uh, you know, East, you know, East African or being white, my experience in suburban Minnesota, like I, I took like the hyper proud route. Um, I felt like I had to really be extra, like if everybody knew, everybody knew that I, I looked different. Everybody knew I was different. Everybody knew that we had a kimchi refrigerator at my, par- at my parents' house. And everybody knew that we were immigrants and we, and we were different that I, I really leaned into that Koreanness, um, that Asianness, mm. and really was kind of in everybody's face about it. You know, for for school projects, I would do that when people would talk about like, uh, you know, for example, history. I was really in your face about it. When I was an athlete, I was super in in people's face about it. I I felt like that kind of. In some ways, some Asian Americans have felt like they were invisible in in ways. Yeah, I felt like I was invisible, but I also made sure that I was hyper visible at the same time. Because if mm. if you were going to, you know, do like do that thing where you would pull the, your eyelids up or you would call me a chink or a jap, well, you're going to pay the price for that. Um, mm. <laughs> and I was I was going to make your life a living hell if because of it. I mean that it's it's funny because that to a to a degree is sort of the opposite of um, of my experience. I didn't have that drive to really assert myself in 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 my my racial identity. Um, I think in in a lot of ways I was a little bit embarrassed by it, but I was also relishing in the fact that so that so many people found half of it really cool. So I'm biracially Japanese and Filipino American, and I think. For me, there was this this sense of I um, well, I, I grew up in in very white areas and and areas where um, whiteness was heavily celebrated, even in in ways that are not you know well known. And and other parts of different racial identities were were constantly tampered down. Um, and I think part of that is also the religious upbringing too. You know, growing up in in an environment where uh, I was told that. Pokemon was satanic and and that that was drilled into our heads because it was you know a, a reference to the kami the the shinto gods so to have that the something that's inherent to who i am be considered uh sinful and satanic well i had to do what i could to eradicate that from from myself so i was always the kid that wanted to be white that wanted to to hang out with the white crowd. I mean, I worked really hard to hide any sorts of Asian influence, whether that's a, a Filipino accent from my mom's family or, uh, you know, my dad's. My dad came over to to the U.S. Um, when he was a bit older, so his English was a little bit broken, um, and I didn't want to pick up any of that. So I worked really hard on my own linguistics so that I could sound as white as possible. And I do carry a lot of. Uh, of shame from from that and uh, from from some of the other uh, things that were imposed on me, which I can go into uh, a little bit later. But um, May, would you uh, would you be willing to share a little bit from from your end? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I am uh, a Hmong American refugee. Um, 
I was born in a refugee camp in Thailand uh, called Ban Vinai. And uh, so I, I get I feel like I occupy an interesting place within, I guess, Hmong American history. Um, I'm of a certain, well, I'm in my 40s. So uh, I, you know, I think that I've heard people talking about how when immigrants and refugees come to the United States, they, the first generation is just try to survive. They're trying to pay bills, make ends meet. Second, the second generation is, you know, they want to be American. They they want to they reject their uh, their cultural identity, and then the third generation tries to return and learn about their culture. So I'm in my 40s, and I have experienced all of that <laughs> in my generation, mm-hmm. in my own body, and I've also witnessed all three generations happening at the same time. So it's it's an interesting space to occupy. I uh, yeah again I, I was born in a refugee camp in 1979. Um, came to the United States when I was nine months old. Uh, grew up mostly in Minnesota, and I was you know I, you know we we've talked about internalized uh, uh, you know feeling internalized oppression right, and I definitely experienced that, uh, and it was because everywhere around I've got the. Uh, I, I was told message. I saw messages, and I was told messages that um, Asians were not welcomed. You know, whether it was in uh, you know college prep classes at school, or um, going to the grocery store, or uh, or other things, right? Mm. And so uh, I didn't assert myself like Naomi because again, we're different generations. But um, I also grew up feeling a lot of um, shame because I think one of the things to keep in mind about Hmong people is that we're also we came from an agrarian um, community, right? And so mm. if you can imagine people who um, are an early-based culture from an agrarian community suddenly plopped in the United States. It's it's crazy culture clash. Um, I spent most of my life, you know, I, I love pop culture, and that's a lens through which I view the world. And so I think this gives you some context for the world in which I grew up. In the 1980s, um, if I wanted to see Asian people, and I and my family did, this is how we saw Asian people on TV, any of the movies, we we there were so many movies about the war. I I remembered vividly um, the movie Casualties of War, for example, mm-hmm. where a bunch of white American soldiers end up raping this Vietnamese woman, and it, that was brutal. But we watched it a lot because, in a lot of ways, that was one of the ways that we felt like we could see some of our experiences um, reflected. And now that I think about that, and like. How much did we want to be seen that we had to watch b- movies in which we saw people with our faces, um, you know, similar faces brutalized? In almost every single movie that I saw in the 80s um, and 90s, you know, Asian men were emasculated. Asian women were, uh, again, as Naomi said, super uh, hypersexualized or um, just quiet and submissive, but they never ended up with any of the Asian men, right? They were always partnered with mostly white men. Um, and I even think about like when I discovered X-Men, you know, the the comic book series as well as mm. the TV shows. And I was really drawn to the character Psylocke. And Psylocke has mm. a whole, it's a fascinating story in and of itself, you know, she she's an Asian woman, or at least that's what I thought. The real story is that she's actually a white woman inside an Asian woman's body. Anyway, I'm writing a whole essay series about Psylocke. <laughs> uh, but again, this just points to how invisible we were. And so um, one of the fascinating things about the pandemic was that I think for a long time, when we talked, when the, the, the United States talked about race in this country, Asians were never really part of the conversation. I think we were still seen as alien 
um, not important enough. Uh, you know, it was not okay to make fun of like other communities of color, but it was still okay to make fun of Asians. And one of the things that the pandemic um, made kind of clear was that violence against Asian bodies became much more visible. And as a result, people suddenly felt like they had to pay attention. And so I think one of the silver linings of the pandemic has been that, sadly, we have more of a platform on that and not to make a joke out of it, but also BTS, right? (laughs) Make us much more more visible. So thank you. Thank you, Koreans. (laughs) You're welcome. I, 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 as a Korean... uh, contributed to that uh you're welcome but i mean we we do need to probably address later in this episode the differentiation between um what i like to call a domestic asian and a foreign uh a foreign <laughs> a- asian because that's that that is an issue that is an issue because is completely yeah because people don't differentiate us right they don't differentiate like when people for example after i know this is a little bit of a sidebar i'm sorry nate and scott but like when parasite won the academy award in 2020 just like a month before the pandemic and because of bts i remember people telling me like this is great naomi congratulations this is your time you're gonna you're you're finally <laughs> gonna do well you're gonna you're gonna sell all your shit all your movies and all your tv shows are gonna be made like this is like wow korea's taking over and i'm just like yeah it's south korea it's not korean americans it's not people from minnesota (laughs) from minnesota that are gonna do that and 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 that is something like you know may and i we talk a lot this talk about this a lot in our work with Falk and also just our work as Asian American artists and writers is that because we are from Minnesota and we're, you know, from America's heartland, we're, we're considered to be a flyover state that even Asian Americans within our own community don't think we're actually Asian American, We that we can't carry that banner, that we can't represent our people. And, you know, of course, people say that Asian the identity, the term Asian American is not a racial term. It's a political term. Yes, that's true. And that because we make, we're made up of so many different ethnicities and, and religions and languages that we're not really united and that we really, we really don't have that kind of commonality, let's say of the Latino community, because they're so unified in the language of Spanish or um, the black community unified in America's racism and slavery and all that, and that we we don't have that same kind of um, unifier. But the thing is, is that like, you know, for, for us, it's weird to hear, especially since I work so much in Los Angeles, and I'm currently in Los Angeles right now, actually in Scott's um, living room. Your <laughs> office. <laughs> but, um, but that we weren't, we're not considered to be a part of Asian America, because we're not from LA or from New York. And, Mm. and that sometimes is really frustrating because it, you know, there are over 300,000 Asian Americans in the state of Minnesota for a population of, I think maybe 2 million people. That's quite, that's Mm. quite extraordinary. And, and I think we have a lot of Asian, we have a lot of Asian Americans who are in political power right now in the state of Minnesota as well. So it, it, it is kind of weird to, um, to talk about like our our placement, especially since we're talking to two coastal people, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. East Coast and, and West, West Coast. Coast. Yeah. And, and trying to be like, hey, we we matter and we also exist. 
Uh, well, well, and, and I isn't think that nice. <laughs> I was just thinking about, I mean, just going back to something that Naomi talked about, I feel like America has, you know, never really liked Asians that much, but especially Asian Americans, because if you think about the types of Asians that get to occupy hyper visible spaces in the United States, they're, they're like Naomi, see foreign Asians, right? Jackie Chan, Chow Yun-Fat, um, mm-hmm. Jet Li, Michelle Yeoh, you know, um, and that, you know, again, again yeah, BTS, all, all these people, right? But in spite of the popularity and the fact that so many people internationally consume Asian culture, the United States is not really interested in Asian American stories still. Mm. And you know what's sad is that Asia doesn't care about us either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and 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 I think this is what's really kind of unique about our, our placement is, um, you know, May and I always kind of joke about this, that, like, <laughs> I have a country to go back to. May, unfortunately, <laughs> does not. We um, have no country. <laughs> yes. Um, my 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 apologies. Um, I, I would just like to point out, I was. I don't think we ever imperialized you guys. You uh, don't. I was going to say, Naomi, you don't have to apologize. The Chinese have to apologize <laughs> to us. <laughs> the United States government first, and then the Chinese. <laughs> Let me do some research to see if the Vietnamese need to do that. I don't know. <laughs> they probably. Yeah, actually, the Vietnamese probably do, and so does the Lao communist. Um, government, um, and, <laughs> and but um, but yeah, I mean it. It is kind of it is kind of weird and to to occupy this this place and and to think about our our identities, um, you know, in in this aspect, especially since everything that's kind of going on in the United States and and now that we're going through another huge china red scare at the moment mm-hmm. which has really impacted the way um again all of us all of us are impacted by it because they don't they don't know the difference they don't know Nate that you're yeah. japanese and filipino may is mong and scott is ja and i'm korean to their eyes we we all look chinese to yeah. them yeah well yeah. they're all the same yeah and yeah. scott you're you're fourth generation right yeah, I am. Yeah. So, so your that your family has either. been here longer than a lot of <laughs> other folks. <laughs> yeah, but I'm still an immigrant, though. Exactly. It, yeah. to, to most of America. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I am. Um, when I was in college, I went to college in South Carolina, and I remember very, very often being asked, "Where, where are you from? Where are you really from?" Yeah, really. From. And I, would, I kept dialing it down. I'm like, "Oh, I'm from uh, New York City area." I'm like, no, no, but where, where are you from? From? Okay, you got me. Uh, I was born in a town called East Rutherford, New Jersey. Uh, I don't actually live in New York City. Sorry, I live about 30 minutes west of New York City. Uh, No, but where are you really, really from? Well, Um, when a man and a woman love each other. (laughs) (laughs) And they turn off the lights and get underneath the sheets. Men have penises. For the record, I just want to say that I got over my internalized oppression when I was 18. Okay, so it's been a lot. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, I, I I hate myself for other reasons. It's never because yeah, I'm yeah. Asian. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I think that was interesting when you were bringing up earlier, Nate, that you were talking about the the Christianity does really I think do does play a part because my family, um, surprise surprise, as Korean Americans, guess what? We weren't Christian. I did not grow up religious at all, mm. and and I think I was able to, yeah, even though like Koreans like. 
are psycho and love to like make things their own and that's She's, why the queen, she said it yeah i mean i can see it but scott if you say it then that's that's a that's oppression since you <laughs> your people were imperialized my people so you know that's not cool but yeah, uh, <laughs> down, huh? for nate's listeners are gonna be like what the hell is going on this is a lot of inner asian jokes and but, it's okay wait, i would also say now. this too yeah naomi one of the things i love about even the Hmong people occupy a really low, we're really low on the um, social hierarchy for a lot of Asian communities. The great thing is that I can punch up at everyone. Yeah, <laughs> Except true. the Quran. Except the Quran. No, you keep your mouth <laughs> shut about the Quran. I'm going to shut up about the Quran. Okay. We're, we're, all, but, yeah. we're all keeping our mouths shut about that. Um, uh, but yeah. so, you know, and and I think religion does actually, since this is a usually yeah. typically a religious <laughs> podcast talking about religion i think it does play a huge part in like assimilation and the bad and part how people perceive each other yeah and but well I mean, religion is partly why I, oh sorry go ahead go ahead my bad i mean yeah because it's a it's a form of assimilation religion is a form of american imperialism through missionaries yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's why i'm here in the united states <laughs> That's why I'm here in the I United mean, States too. I mean, Jay, no, no, it's well, it's a different mean, form the, of imperialism. Sorry, uh, the first part was the United, the CIA, the CIA going over to <laughs> Southeast Asia and fucking things up. That was the first part. But the second reason why I'm specifically in Minnesota is because the Lutherans sponsored us over here <laughs> with the oh. hope of probably. Uh, one of my friends is like, they only brought us here because they want to go to heaven. I'm like, oh, I want to write a poem called <laughs> The Lutherans Only Brought Us to America So They Could Go to Heaven. Hey, you know what? What I appreciate about the Lutherans mm-hmm. is that um, they were the most chill about it, I feel. Yeah. In terms of their yeah, missionary they're so not work. Overbearing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Garrison Keeler. And plus, yeah. <laughs> Garrison Keeler. <laughs> do not, don't speak. Wait, him. Garrison Keeler was a, was a Lutheran? And he's from Minnesota. Oh, yeah. we yeah. don't speak of Garrison Keillor. No, fuck that yeah, guy anymore. So yeah. I pulled that yeah, one from way guy. back. <laughs> yeah, let's. We can all forget about Lake Wobegon. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that is interesting. Uh, bringing up erasure, I, I I like what what you said, Naomi, about how um, Asian media focuses so much on the the foreign Asian experience and it was something that I never even recognized because I I guess being the the son of of immigrants I didn't see myself growing up as having um like a community around me or any kind of real identity and so the the media that I um would consume was always you know whatever cool foreign thing that was that was out there that my white friends were getting into and they're like oh Nate you like kung fu movies yeah um forgetting the fact that I'm Japanese and kung fu is not a part of my culture but (laughs) but it is um Nate (laughs) yeah what did I miss you just didn't know (laughs) I didn't know (laughs) you know kung fu man just just try it yeah (laughs) yeah oh that's right it got uploaded into my into my brain through the matrix yeah um I mean, all of us might have some Chinese in us. I don't know. (laughs) Is that really offensive? (laughs) I'm pretty sure I've got some Chinese in me. Oh, you definitely do. Yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised. I checked. I wish I did. I haven't. I haven't done my 23 and Me, but yeah, I see. I did 23 and Me, and I'm like boring. 100% Japanese. Really? Wow. Yeah, Scott. Look at that. I was Korean. They gave me Korean for a little bit. Yeah. No, for like for like two or three years. You can ask Naomi. I was like, hey sister 
because I was like six percent <laughs> Korean, and I was like just scarfing kimchi and and like I practiced like self loathing and and freaking out about things. I guess the more people submit, the more accurate it gets, and then they took it away. Uh, so I'm not. Uh, not damn Korean. it! No I'm more Korean, Korean. just Japanese. So <laughs> that sucks. Anyway, <laughs> but, sorry, um, it had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> What I find um, really interesting because there's the, the, you know, the topic of Asian erasure and Asian, Asian invis- invisibility comes up relatively often in, in, in our circles. And, um, but I think one thing that's also very important that you, that you both have brought up um, is the erasure of, of the Asian American identity and how, you know, like, like you said, Naomi, that's, that's not me. Okay. That's exciting. You know, um, good good for them but it's related yeah yeah and i can to to a degree i can see myself there but the thing is when i go and visit my my family in japan um i will never be one of them i'll never be japanese i'll never fit in in that culture yeah and so you know as as an asian american i don't see myself enough Mm -hmm. excuse me while i get some coughs out yeah, I mean, I, I definitely felt that this past fall. Um, I returned to South Korea after, I think, 20 years, over 20 years since I've last been to South Korea with my with my family. And I've always, like, very acutely have known that I am not a Korean woman. Um, I still have all my original parts, first off. <laughs> and, and, oh. and, hey, it's just, it just people. You mean unaltered just, parts, right? Yeah, people just love plastic surgery. It's it's fine. It it's cool and it, it works and blah blah blah. But um, and Koreans Koreans do it. But then also it's just like I I always knew that I was an outsider within the Korean American community itself. So I knew it was never going to like going to Korea was it was going to be a thousand times worse because of. K-Town girls in LA are making fun of me, <laughs> then I knew South Korea was going to be a totally brutal place. And, um, but I mean, it, it, it is interesting to kind of, to kind of go back and to kind of see what, what's it like and, and how it is. And I think especially after the past few years with the rise of anti-Asian hate, the amount of, you know, hate crimes and discrimination that was going on, um, I think what was really refreshing about being in South Korea is that despite me being tall, fat, and ugly American that I am um, to South Korean standards, I was in a place, I was in a homogeneous society that where I was now the majority. And mm. people like me were the majority, like Koreans were the majority. And that yeah. that felt... that felt In Korea. Yeah, in Korea. Think about mm-hmm. that. You know, certain parts I did not feel the majority because it was um, my where my grandmother lives is in Musan, um, and Musan is the town that borders the DMZ. So sometimes there were a lot of American soldiers, and I'd be like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Literally, get get the fuck out of here! Get get the fuck out of here! Go back where you came from. But um, <laughs> but it, it it was kind of refreshing to to um. To feel that, to to have that feeling and, you know, the fear of like the target of being an Asian woman wasn't on my back. It was just the target of being a woman that was on my back. 
Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, because that's the reality of being a woman is that unfortunately, um, 99% of the world, no matter where you go, um, mm. it's still patriarchy, it's still misogyny, it's still violence against women. And, and yeah. that's one thing that like, I always try to remind um, especially since I think I made this joke a lot to Scott and May on separate or together occasions where when Asian American women um, rightfully so talk about the misogyny and the patriarchy of Asian men and Asian American men. And that's why, you know, they turn to other facets and other races and, and choose to have other partners. And but I, I always try to remind everybody that you know, misogyny and patriarchy is the same. It just might look different. And what are you going to choose in America? Misogyny yeah. and racism, at least in Korea, I just had to deal with misogyny. Mm. Um, but, but yep. yeah, I mean, yep. it, it was, it was interesting in that, in that regard to be back. The chapel probation podcast takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities focusing initially on Azusa Pacific University, where I taught English for 15 years. I'm Scott Okamoto, and I'm writing a book about how I deconstructed from faith completely while at APU. This podcast, though, is my tribute to the students and other faculty who survived evangelical higher education. They faced ridiculous racism, sexism, anti-LGBTQ hatred, and all manner of bigotry. From the heartless evils of the prosperity gospel to the destructive pseudo-theology of purity culture, the stories will break your heart, but they will also inspire. These people faced bigotry and fought back. In a weird, kind of sick way, we went through some shit, but we formed identities and we formed communities through it all. I hope you will join us. Hey everyone, I'm Jessica from the Leaving the Village podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Kathleen, Nate, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions they came from, please feel free to hop onto the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics. In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episode of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking on the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking on the link in the top banner. See you there. I had a similar experience because I, I took my, we went to Japan uh, back in 2017. It was my first time. And I wondered wow. if it was going to feel like some kind of homecoming, <laughs> the motherland, <laughs> it, you know, the, 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 the fourth generation American prodigal son coming back to Japan. And really, I was just a foreigner there. <laughs> I was just a, yeah. another, they thought I was Taiwanese because I didn't speak Japanese. Um, mm. But I realized I'm not Japanese. That is that is not a place I would go. Like if I had to leave America for whatever reason, 
I would not go there because I will not be accepted as a Japanese person. I don't speak the、mm-hmm. language. I don't understand the culture much other than intellectually. And it was like a weird feeling that, because I loved being there and I loved learning the history and I loved seeing the culture. And we, we went all over Japan.、Um, it's a beautiful place. I love the food.、Um, really nice people.、Um, But they're they're Scott, not me. You're totally not Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> right? I say, I, I'm totally not Japanese. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just not. And, I, and it, I, I suppose I could. But if, like I said, if I had to leave and go somewhere, I'd go to like Mexico because at least I speak Spanish. And I, and I like to <laughs> um, I guess I could go to an English speaking country too. But, you know, Canada. Gail, I go, go, go to Canada. Um, But yeah, yeah so to, to have this idea that we are, we are without a homeland because we're not fully accepted here, as, you know, I, as May pointed out, I'm a fourth generation Japanese American, but it doesn't matter. You know, it, it, no one assumes that I've been here for four generations. They just assume、right. I'm an、uh, immigrant, which is fine. It's nothing wrong with being an immigrant, but it's, it's a weird thing to not have agency in how I am perceived and how I move through this world. Simply because I'm Asian American. And for all the reasons that, that May and Naomi have been talking about erasure, a sort of dislike of Asian,、uh, Asian Americans.、Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, this is an interesting、uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even that, <clears throat> that blending of, of religion that, that we were all pointing out,、um, Scott, you've got a book coming out.、Um, I do. And the, the title is. Asian American apostate. Yeah. Losing religion and finding myself at an evangelical university. That sounds harrowing. <laughs> yeah. It's not as scary as Brad Wanishi's book.、Um, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it has some funny moments.、Um, but yeah, really, you know, Naomi is brought up, she wasn't Christian. I'm beginning to think Naomi isn't even Korean anymore because she wasn't Christian. She's, <laughs> she says things like bag instead of bag because she's from the Midwest. Um, I speak doesn't the, have plastic speak... surgery. Yeah, hey,、so. I'm, I'm what Korean people can look to in 15 years and be like, that's, that's OG. Like, that's our,、yeah, like、our base an, model. An oracle. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're like a, you a know demigod. What? Those K Town girls may make fun of you, but in Minnesota, you are a role model for many Asian American girls. <laughs> I know, surprisingly, I am quite, a,、wow. quite the role model for. Because you're, you're, you're badass. Naomi、yeah. is. But, but you are too, May, because you, you are an amazing playwright and、um, writer and activist.、Yeah. So. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I already know I'm a role model because people tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you in United Shades of、um, America with、yeah. W. Kamau Bell. You read, you read on the air a poem about anal sex. So, yeah, I did. That, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it's was, a poem uh, called, uh, uh, what was it called anyway? Papaya salad. <laughs>、uh, Lao papaya, papaya salad is like anal sex. Yeah. It was just、oh. something we kind of did on the fly, and then they ended up like, putting it on、um, CNN's website. So, yeah, it wasn't on the thing. W. Kamel Bell's face while you read it, though, was priceless. It was like. Uh, well, because so, and, and to, your, to, to, to the whole conversation, you, you surprised America by reading that poem because it, it, wasn't what, it wasn't what people would expect from an Asian American woman. 
Yeah. And and I think they were probably thinking that, you know, I would write a story about, oh, I'm caught between two cultures. And, you know, I'm sure I wrote that. I wrote stuff like that, but that was like 20 years we ago. We all have. So, yeah. It's part of our so, development. Yeah. I think, and I've said this before um, in interviews and other places, but I think one of the sad but beautiful things about being an Asian American creative, especially someone who, you know, works in comedy is that people have such low expectations of us. So everything we say is, you know, like if we subvert their expectations, it's already exciting and interesting, right? Mm. Because their expectations are that what one, we don't speak English, one, yeah. we're not funny, one, uh, I mean, sorry, that's two, my bad. I, I'm not, see, there you go. I'm an Asian who doesn't know Not that. your model minority, uh, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, you know, and also we're feminists, but we talk about sex. We like, we like sex. We also, but we don't like bad sex, you know? Uh, so the thing is, I think we, I think, again, we subvert expectations, not because, you know, we're trying to be edgy, but just because we're trying to bring our whole humanity to the table uh, in conversations like this or you know, in our shows or uh, other places. Mm. That's a good segue to um, talking about your work, both of you in the the Funny Asian Women's Collective. Mm. Um, could, could you tell us more about that? I'll give you the spiel, and then Naomi can give you like the uh, our origin story, maybe. So, FOC, Funny Asian Women Collective. Uh, our mission is uh, we use comedy to combat the dehumanization and invisibility of Asian American women. That's officially what we tell funders, but it's actually what we do as well. So Naomi, you can tell them our origin story. Yeah. So uh, about like 10 years ago, was it 10 years? No, it wasn't 10 years ago. 20, 2014? Yeah. 2014. Ah, oh, fuck. That nice. is almost. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, uh, I already revealed my age, but you're like, you're not going to reveal. You were. I'm 19. You were nine. I was nine. I'm 19. I, I was born in 2003. Um, real cool. <laughs> Real cool stuff. I've, I've lived quite a life already. Um, yeah, so uh, I was invited to do this reading and uh, the organizer, who is surprisingly an Asian American woman themselves, uh, was just like, hey, Naomi, want you to do this thing. And I was like, yeah, no problem. Can't, glad to help out. She goes, you can't swear or talk about sex. And I was like, oh, fuck. What the hell am I going to talk about then? I have 20 seconds and, of material. Um, and I, I don't – and the thing is, is that like this is my bread and butter is swearing um, and also uh, talking about sex. It's it's kind of the basis in my brand of comedy and being – That's all you talk about. I talk about other you things too. Alcohol. Sorry, you talk about alcohol. That's and right. Your dad. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of sounds Christian. And and I also talk about Shohei Otani now. He he has been part Ooh, of my. Oh yeah, don't uh, my get her shit. started on Shohei Otani. <laughs> we have a whole put, podcast dedicated to Shohei Otani. Naomi, I'm putting Shohei under the sex category for you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's, there's some overlap there. <laughs> okay, yes. okay. To to my defense, I can talk about Shohei Otani in terms of baseball. Uh, Scott um, and I, we are the co-hosts of, with our friend Kim Cooper, of Asians and Baseball, another podcast that Nate actually guess, was yeah, a guest was on, on while I was in South Korea. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, oh, so origin story, origin story. Yes, Sorry, yes. So yeah, you did the reading. Story. You did the reading. You were told reading. no sex, no swearing. swearing. And I bombed. So May and her husband were, uh, her husband Peter was in the audience and Mooks, our, our other co-founder, and her partner was in the audience. And then like very much like May was very straightforward. 
You told me I sucked. You suck. Well, actually, my husband said it to you. I didn't have the guts to say it. I, I was thinking <laughs> in my head, though. <laughs> like, literally, after the reading, we, we walked a block over to my office, and we were drinking, and then... Um, my husband was just like, Naomi, why did you suck tonight? You're usually so funny. And, <laughs> and we could visibly see on stage that, you know, she was trying to talk. Every time she tried to say something, she visibly stopped herself. And that night we just said, you know, fuck this shit. Because this happens to Asian women all the time. We're always told to be quiet, to not say things that would offend our communities or our families. And so we were like, let's just create a space where Asian women could talk about their stories on their own terms, whatever that means. And we created Fuck. We knew that night it was going to be F-A-W-K. We, so we called ourselves funny Asian woman dot, 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 K, because we didn't know what the K stood for. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we applied for a grant under that name. And we got the grant. And then a year later, we were like, stay collective with as a nod to the Koreans. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But, you know, I, I think what's interesting is that I don't I don't think people recognize how much, like, we have to navigate these systems. I mean, the, the, these, like, expectations. Uh, when I was – I went to grad school pretty late, and I still remember, um, you know, talking to my cohort, and I talked about how, like, people wanted to weigh in on a lot of my work. For example, when I, I had a play called Confessions of a Lazy Mung Woman – and one of the pushbacks I got was actually from Hmong women as well as some other folks was that, you know, uh, I, I always tell the story. I was doing the show in Wisconsin at a, at a college Wisconsin. campus and a young white, yeah, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. And this uh, young white man came up to me during my artist meet and greet and he had tears in his eyes. And he said when he saw flyers of my show, he was so sad because Hmong people were some of the hardest working people he knew. Uh, and I was like, it's a freaking comedy. Plus, it's my story. Um, I'm the lazy mom woman. <laughs> uh, and, you know, again, I, I heard, you know, that there were some Hmong women who were really offended by my portrayal of Hmong, you know, that, that I, this was the title of my show, that I was making our people look bad. And these are not, these are femin uh, feminists, right? And I was just like, really? Because uh, this is my story. And so I think this speaks to the fact that we had so few stories out there that if there are a couple of representations, everyone expects you to be perfect. Yeah. Um, even when I wrote my play, the Korean drama Addict's Guide to Losing Your Virginity, right? Awesome like play. I saw, <laughs> thank you. Uh, I heard there was some pushback about the title because uh, the, the pushback was, what are her elders going to think? And I'm like, my elders are not coming to see this fucking play. They're not. Yeah. Right. So, but, but I bring this up because when I was talking to my cohort members, very few of them talked about the, you know, they were just creating art because they wanted to create art. They, if there were restrictions, it was about themselves, possibly with a couple of family members. And they were just surprised that I was getting, yeah, I was getting like a lot of, you know, um, pushback from people in the community, um, from uh, producers, from, you know, just so many people regulating what they thought I needed to be writing. Right. You know, and that, so these are some yeah. of the confines. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never had that coming from my own community in terms of Korean Americans. I think um, one when I they never stopped me before doing it. They just they just I think at the end will just be like, oh, that's not Naomi. What <laughs> Naomi is doing is not Korean. It's not representative of, of our community, um, which I've had multiple Korean Americans uh. tell me that. Um, 
at the highest level, like at, you know, mm-hmm. the decision-making level in film and television, they're just like, oh, wow. And yeah, they they would be like, yeah, if I'm going to, you know, do a, a Korean American project, I'm not going to do a one from Minnesota. I'm going to do one from either, you know, New York or from LA. And I was just like, well, you're kind of alienating millions of Koreans who don't live in um, LA or in New York or the biggest now becoming the biggest community of Korean Americans, which is Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. And so but I, I think what was always interesting is that, and Scott can tell um, his perspective of this, is how other people who are white or of different races would have a would 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 think about my work and and be surprised or even assume that I had no idea of like what I was actually doing. Do you remember that, Scott? I think you told me this once that. Someone told you. Yeah. Someone in a, in a high place at where you happen to be working described you as a baby writer who still needed to learn and you had already accomplished quite a bit at that point. And then they said, they said, and she's really funny and she doesn't even know it. And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean she doesn't know it? She's, she's working it. That's, that shit's funny because she's trying to be funny. Like, and they're, but they're like they wanted to feel like they discovered this diamond in the rough, right? This <laughs> wow th- that and then so they could take credit for it because you know they they see humor and intelligence in an Asian American woman that you know maybe no, they assume no one else sees because they don't. And so yeah, it was it was disgusting. It was it was it made me so mad yeah. to to mm-hmm. hear this person say this. Yeah, and and I mean it's weird because it's just like. She doesn't even know she's funny. Well, the thing is, is that like, I'm trying to sell you this show. This pitch is going to be funny because I'm trying to prove to you in real time, face to face, that I'm a funny person and that you could trust me to deliver this Uh, comedy. Also, uh, you and I charge people to, 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 to pay, people pay us to be funny. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all sold we, out we, your new next show, right? It's just I just saw it. the the big Ordway show. Yeah, I mean we yeah like oh. we charged a lot of people to come see us at the Ordway. Over eight hundred people came, and then we have a we have a show in the end of February that's already sold out, and it's just like you know, and we're not even trying that hard for this show. We we're calling it the intentional hot mess show because none of us are going to. Pre- well, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to prep. I don't need to. I, I don't. I- I don't know what I mean. I, I just think I'll probably talk about how I'm having a midlife crisis, but I'll figure that out a couple okay. hours before the show. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, this episode doesn't air until after the show. Um, That's okay. We don't care. I guess, we actually well, the tickets don't give are a sold. Shit. So yeah. yeah, Scott, that is our that is our charm. We just we show up as is, and people people love the humanity. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, to your credit, you've built up an audience. You know, people in Minnesota will all, in, and not just Asian Americans. I know um, I have friends of all nationalities who've, who've seen you all perform. Um, but th- and that's not a small thing. So do you think, so it seems to me like the expectations of, of us, whatever they are, model minority, submissive, you know, whatever, worker bees, when, when people are encounter us and we're not those things, um, there's like a violent response to it, right? Hmm. It's like people get pissed that... We're not behaving the way they assume we're supposed to behave. 
And it feels like that's directly tied to the recent Asian hate, but we can you can trace it all the way back to you know Vincent Chin and and mm-hmm. um, okay. the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. It's like this is something that keeps happening, and it's getting it's getting better. Um, you know, this year with everything everywhere all at once doing well, and there is an Asian American person <laughs> in that cast. Um, yeah. There are two. So, yeah, there are two. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, K is also Asian American. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah. So, do you guys have thoughts on that? Like, when 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 you when you come across someone and they, you don't meet their expectations, there's this kind of visceral response from people. Or yeah. no, people are too nice in Minnesota. No, no, they're no, not. they're not nice at all. I I just gave you a list of the people who've oppressed me, Scott. <laughs> just because of my art, my work. Um, well, that, yeah. Well, your own people too, right? But um, yeah, it's, but, it's my own people and outsiders. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I think you know Minnesota is not immune to this. Like in in March of 2020, right, right when COVID happened, a very very violent incident happened on the light rail station in many in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, where a woman was essentially like she was kicked so hard it was it was a mm. it was disgusting it was so bad she, on the light rail and it was and it was a young asian woman it was a young asian american woman who who this this individual just just assaulted her terribly and then also last year after you know it's it's really like when we talk about the 2 year anniversary of the Atlanta shootings that we can't we can't forget that last year so many Asian American women were killed in yeah. New York mm-hmm. and also in Minnesota. Yulia Lee, an Asian um, immigrant woman in Minnesota, was also shot in her, her car in St. Paul in February of 2022. And you know, and and I think like there is this perception that oh Minnesotans are so nice. We're Minnesota nice actually isn't nice. We're actually quite a cruel group of people. It, watch the movie Fargo. You'll understand. Mm. Uh, um, yeah. No one lives through that movie. People aren't alive. Um, but you know but polite, and so yeah, we're polite, but we'll still, you know They'll still stab you. Yeah. Yeah, still stab you or throw you in a wood chipper. Um yeah. so there is this kind of violence, visceral reaction. Um, you know, there there have been times in my life, um, specifically college, where and in high school, but mostly in college, because I was, I think, just my personality and the way that um, who I am and this bullshit I'm sick of, and also the way that May describes me as a known bully. Um, <laughs> um, which I was, I guess I was a known bully. Everybody's ad- actually admires. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was a known bully. I like I had a stick up a for leader. myself. Yeah, you were a, a leader. leader. That's why I won the Bush Leadership Fellowship. God. <laughs> Just kidding. We're still to get back to that. But. Oh yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. But um, Bush's beans. Bush's beans. Um, <laughs> but um, in college, like I remember, I was at I was at a party and um. One, a couple of these really drunk assholes were like messing with my friend and I was just like sick of it. So I stood up from the couch and of course I had my beer in a red solo cup because uh, I'm still a basic bitch. Um, and, and I, you know, <laughs> I splashed m- my beer on this guy because he needed to, he, I needed, he needed to be snapped out of it. And 
And I remember he had that look in his eye where he was so surprised that it happened. And then he had a look in his eye, like he had that look in his eyes where he was like, I'm going to kill this person. Mm. And, and it wasn't until my other friend who was just like, okay, we got to go, we got to go. And, and it like this moment is still very clear in my eyes, like in my, in my head in terms of how his eyes First, we're so shocked. And then it was just like, oh, like, I'm going to physically harm this person. Hmm. And yeah, and I think, you know, that that is something that's, um, you know, people people don't ex- I don't think he expected me to fight back, but I was ready to fight because, you know, hmm. you're not going to take me down alone. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm curious about so so comedy. It's it's so fascinating the uh, the intersection of of the Asian identity, the Asian American identity, and comedy, um, because I've found at least in my life, and then a lot of the comedians that comedians of Asian uh, descent that that I've seen, there there almost seems to be this reflex of get ahead of the joke, right? Mm-hmm. So like. It's the we're we're gonna make fun of ourselves before you can, mm-hmm. um, which I I used to I used to love that kind of comedy and now yeah, I too. just feel sad mm-hmm. and it reminds me of the things that I used to do like I remember um, one one of the jokes I used to used to say often were things like oh you know uh, we we see life in sixteen by nine widescreen so you know just to 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 get ahead of the jokes right to stave off the jokes that I knew were about to come about yeah. my phenotype and my appearance. How have you found working in comedy? How have you found a way to sort of, I mean, you're, you're subverting expectations. Like, like you've said, are, are there, are there pitfalls? Are there strategies? Are there things that you need to watch for or, or just ways that you uh, enter a space that's, uh, do you even have that in mind as you walk into a space, knowing your racial identity and what you're what you're doing? I think we always defend and advocate that Falk is a space where we don't censor ourselves and that our performers don't do that. We actually had an incident where um, some folks, okay, let's say Asian women, actually were trying to censor us, and you know that was a hard conversation to have because. I think there are some people who are not very funny because they compromise the humor because they are worried about what mm. other people will say. And I think one of the uh, power of co- one, or, uh, of comedy is that you say the things that other people cannot say, right? Sometimes mm. we laugh because someone is actually saying something we were thinking, but we didn't have the nerve to say. And I think that um, comedy is also important because um, it allows you to say some of these hard things in a mm. way that is more palatable for people, right? We can... We, we can talk about racism, oppression, but people can swallow that because it's funny. And again, there's truth in this, right? We don't, I don't, I don't know anybody in Falk who just makes up a joke just for a, a punchline. You know, uh, uh, people are telling their truth. And, uh, and so there's, there's skin in the game, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah. don't know, uh, uh, that's Naomi? I mean, it's just, you know, it's just sad because when, when I see Asian American comedians or people 
comedic actors or people who work in the comedy space who try to get ahead of the joke. I'm just like, wow. I mean, it sucks. I feel kind of bad for them because they don't really have a lot of self-esteem and that they feel really insecure about it. And I think, you know, I think for me and at this, at our past show at the Ordway, we made our show was very Asian in the sense that we didn't explain half of the jokes and we were dropping a lot Mm. of jokes that were very, I guess, in-house for an Asian American community. Mm. And I had a lot of friends who are not Asian, who are white and black and Latino who were at the show. And they're just like, I didn't understand half of the jokes that you, you guys yeah. made, but, but I knew it was funny because one other people were laughing, but then <laughs> we could just tell by the tone and the way that we delivered it. And, and I think that's really important is, is that sometimes we, you know, have faith in, in the audience, have faith in the people who are watching it, that, they might be able to understand it and might be might appreciate it, even though they might not know what you're talking about um, or have these already preconceived notions of you. And but I mean, yeah, that that censorship thing that happened a couple of years ago, that drove me fucking insane. I was so angry. I was so angry about it because this is exactly what Fock was trying not to do. Mm-hmm. If we are not going to allow us the space to actually be our full selves, no one is ever going to give that space. If we don't even give it to ourselves, mm. how the hell are we supposed to expect other people to give us that space? Yeah. And I think it's about you You take care of yourself. Like I always tell folks, okay, Naomi, Mooks, and I, we're, we're, we have potty mouths. Yeah, we swear all the time. But you don't have to do that to be on a Fox lineup. You can be funny without talking about you know, sex or, or using swear words or other stuff that, that being said, like, um, they just, they just needed to take care of themselves. And I feel like, again, it kind of goes back to some of the things we talked about earlier, which is that, um, that I talked about earlier, which is that we have sometimes in the Asian American community, and I think in a lot of BIPOC communities, we feel like we need to regulate each other so that we don't look bad to the much, you know, to white people, Mm. to be, to be honest. Right. Yeah, And so I think it was a matter of, uh, I'm going to say the things I need to say. I'll be responsible for that. You say the things you need to say, and you'd be responsible for that. But don't don't try to censor us. Mm. Wow. I will also, can I just add something? We had, we've had we been talking about the Atlantic shooting and said, I still remember that when that happened, that was, first of all, it was an exhausting month um, mm-hmm. because the Atlantic, shoot, uh, Atlantic shootings happened. And, and within the Hmong community, like I think, there was basically an average of one Hmong woman dead every single week, mm-hmm. you know, uh, killed by her husband's hand or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even wrote a whole, like, op-ed about this. Um, anyway, it was exhausting. And what I remember was that people reached out to Falk to ask if we could perform to, you know, to to lighten the load, to help people heal. And we actually just said no. We're like, we're checking out. We're not doing this emotional labor. Um, we're not doing and. The first thing we programmed after that was a poetry reading, and um, I organized it. I was just like, it's not supposed to be funny. If, if it is funny, it can be. But I just invited Asian women poets from across the country to respond to, to something. And we were just like, we're, we're always caretakers, and this is, not the, this is not a place for us to be mm-hmm. taking care of people. Yeah. <sighs> so I do want to give us a little bit of space to – sit in some of that. Our plan is to publish this episode on the day of the 
anniversary of the shooting. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be a lot. And if you're listening to this on that day, I hope you take time. If you are Asian American, um, even if you're not and you don't know what to what to say or what to feel uh, or what to think, how to interact with your Asian American friends, um, just sit with them and sit with all of this. I mean, we ran the gamut in our conversation today and and we still haven't figured out whether you have anything to do with George W. Bush, Naomi. Um, do you, by the way, is that, so can, can we explain that real quick? Uh, the Bush leadership fellow who... Who's Bush? Yes. So May, May and I are both, uh, May won the Bush Leadership Fellowship uh, in what year? 2011, I think, the first yep. year. And um, so the Bush Leadership Fellowship is from the Bush uh, Foundation that's based out of Minnesota. And it has nothing to do with George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, no Bush in political <laughs> power. It's actually Barbara. founded by Archibald Bush who um, made all of his money from 3M, which is based out of St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, Fun fact for those who don't know. So this is post-it money, not Uh, uh, international war crime money. But I I do want to make it clear that I would still take George W. Bush's money. Hey, money is money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Might as well Um, be you. Just putting that out there. Yeah. we, We would like some money. Bush family. Yes. All of us. Please. Uh, uh, I, we're no longer eligible for any more money. So please uh, give us some special, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take I'll take that blood money. All money That's is blood true. money, right? This is America, guys. Everything, everything, everything but, is tainted. But I, yeah. But I mean, I think that's why we kind of occupy this interesting space, too, is just we 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 do the comedy. We work on our own personal stuff. Uh we're very sacrilegious uh, in a lot of ways, and but we also do leadership work, and so I think that's just um, it's not about it's not about complications. Again, it's about just thinking about all the different identities that we inhabit all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even though it does seem like we are overachievers in the sense that we do a lot of a lot of work. <laughs> Um, we're not, um, I I, I think I'm a slacker actually, but actually, no, I'm actually an overachiever, not because I'm an overachiever, but because I demand excellence from everybody, Uh, including myself. It's just a personal thing. It has nothing to do with my racial identity. Are you sure though? Are you sure? Naomi watches a ton of TV, so she, she goes all out with that. (laughs) I wish I had been an overachiever, but I was told I would amount to nothing. And so I believed it. See, look at... Look at these untruths, these preconceptions harming Asian Americans. You know, but you know what? My my half-assed efforts were actually really good. Apparently, I scared a lot of white kids in with my grades. I didn't. I'm like, I wasn't even trying. I wish I'd known. I was smart. I would I would have tried. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually not kidding. I'm I like, know you're not no, kidding. I, I I've seen your yearbook yeah. before. Yeah. But I'll say this about Falk because back to what I was saying about expectations, the the fact that you are have created this brand in in Minnesota nice land, um, <laughs> where you're, you're I think wasn't it like your one of your early slogans like clapping back at um, yeah microaggressions or microaggressions yeah yeah um, you know like I I write in my book about a, a time I was in a writing program 
And one of my classmates said they didn't hear the Asian in my writing, and they really wanted to hear it. And I was like, oh "My gosh!" I didn't, I didn't have the, I didn't have the sense of self to respond because I had no idea what they were talking about. But the the class kind of sussed out that this person wanted me to sound like Amy Tan and be, you know, soft and poetic and Zen like. Mm-hmm. And I was writing kind of this, you know, balls to the wall story. Um, so I, that's the expectation of some people about Asians. And so the fact that you guys are doing what you do, um, being purposefully, not just raunchy, but um, aggressive and and angry and, and pushing back on the assumptions and the lazy assumptions about um, all of our communities, I think it's a really yeah. great thing. Um, I wish you guys could travel and, and perform in places like, you know, that aren't... Um, in the middle of the of the country, because not yeah, not bring say, us out if you actually yeah. want some good Asian American comedy. Or uh, my bad, if you want some good comedy, <laughs> let us know. Oh, we're gonna do this again. So, all right, so let's talk about why you're not real Asian in, in Minnesota. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, that's a whole other conversation for that's, another that's, day. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that was great. Like when when Nate was on the Asians in baseball, we we had this sort of like we had it out East Coast West Coast. Dodgers, oh yeah, Yankees. That was, that was good like, stuff. <laughs> we said nice things. We said some harsh things about each other's teams. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Look, I, it doesn't help that I'm a Yankee fan, but when you're when you're born and raised in this and part of the country, I can't still, help it. I know, I know. It's well, big you know of us what? that we're friends. <laughs> you know. Nay doesn't give two shits about sports, and we all know I'm a Twins fan. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I was quiet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, and I don't care. But we won't make fun of the Twins because that's right. pushing down. I'm gonna smack you. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, Scott. That is true. So we'll say nothing. I think the Twins are okay. It's the Vikings that are very heartbreaking, oh. aren't they? <laughs> oh, hey, see, you know that. So. Me, I know every that Minnesota sports team is heartbreaking, okay? <laughs> it's just, it's just, it hurts. Well, the Twins have a nice history, and so do the Vikings. That's all um, they have. Wh- Shut up. <laughs> Sorry. What was that, quarterback? Naomi said, like, I can the, say it about my people, but you can't say it, Scott. <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, exactly, well, no more, exactly. No more talk can, of Minnesota sports. I can say sports. about okay. my people. You guys shut your mouths. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Where um, where can people find you? Uh, do you guys have the social social media in, internet presence and all that? Mm-hmm. You can find Naomi at my house. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we are we're funny Asian women collective. You can find us at www.fawcollective f a w k o l l e c t i v e or you can find us at Falk Collective um, on Instagram and on Twitter and I guess on and, Facebook. And if yeah. you want to know about me or Na- Naomi individually, you can just Google us. So, <laughs> Yes, I, I just I just want to point out that May is very distinctly her and herself. Um, however, there are multiple Naomi Co's and no, oh, I am not. Yeah, I'm not Naomi the Co, the Canadian golfer in the LPGA, unfortunately. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's Sometimes a Naomi we wish Co. You were. This whole show, I thought. Yes, oh, yeah. unfortunately. Oh, you're not the golfer. 
I'm not the golfer, nor am I like the famous breast cancer oncologist. I am just the <laughs> loser. So I, you know, I'm neither a golfer or, or a doctor, but those other Naomi Co's are doing quite well for themselves. So all right, well, know, we'll put um, congrats, we'll put, guys. We'll put links in the in the show notes for people so they can they can click it. If you're driving, don't do that. Uh, don't don't click anything. Just uh, wait till you get to a safe spot and then uh, and then click around yeah. in the show notes. I on the road. Um, thank you again for uh, for joining us, you guys. This has been this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So this has been another episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. As it turns out, I was actually dealing with COVID during that recording session. So on top of my shitty internet connection that night, which made our conversation really difficult to get through. I was fighting off more than just a cold, even though I was testing negative at the time. I do want to say thank you for listening to this episode. We have another one dropping today where Gail and I talk with Angie K. Hong about the relationship between racism, Orientalism, and evangelical purity culture, and how that creates the deadly mix that targets Asian American women. If you haven't heard that one yet, please go check that out as well. The lives of Asian Americans are convoluted. As Scott mentioned, his family has been in the U.S. for four generations, but he's still looked at as an immigrant. Now, like you said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being an immigrant, but the fact remains that Asian Americans, no matter how long we've been in this country, never have agency over how we are perceived. Our entire lives we're looked at as foreigners. And when a virus that's believed to have originated in China makes its way to these shores, we are the ones who get blamed for it. We're the ones whose restaurants get vandalized, who are told to go back to where we came from as if we weren't born and raised in your neighborhoods, who are stabbed on the subway, pushed in front of trains, and followed home by complete strangers to be murdered in our own apartments. The Asian American experience is often referred to as that of perpetual foreigner. Many of us never learned our languages of origin, So it's not like we would thrive in the countries our parents and grandparents came from. When I visit Japan, I'm considered gaijin, outsider. But when people who look like me are being attacked and killed in Chinatown, K-Town, and Little Tokyo here in the U.S., what homes do we have left to go to? Mm 